This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. As you can see, I'm not with you today. Uh, I am out of town speaking at another church. I'm in Bolivar, Missouri. Bolivar is just south of Springfield, Missouri. It's a little town. It's smaller than Albemarle. And in that town, a little over five years ago, the Ark, which we're a part of, planted a church. And I've become really good friends with their pastor, Matt Bun. He is such a great guy. I love him. I love his family. They're so kind. They're so gentle. They're just great people. And I'm, I'm excited to get to be there with, with them, but I'm excited for what God is going to do in the house today. Now, while I serve over here in the Heights in Missouri, I, I'm one of their overseers. I, I get to be there today as an extension of the ministry of Vortex Church. Today, what's going to happen in the house here is going to bless you. My friend Brian Barker is going to be preaching today. And Brian, let me just say this. Brian's like many of y'all. You have a full-time job and you, you go out, but you come to church on the weekends. You're devoted to the church. Brian, does he's not full-time at church. He's not even part-time. He's not even on a contract with the church. He's simply a volunteer. He spends some of his choice hours serving the church preparing for a message like this and I'm I'm so thankful for him he leads with such intentionality if you've been on a mission trip he serves as our mission pastor and so anything that has to do with serve day or mission trips he has a lot to do with that and if you've been on a mission trip you you, you know how diligent he is how faithful he is and he's that way all the time. I, I love him because he's so funny. He's a great communicator. And the message he has for you today, I just want you to hear from me as a pastor. He's lived this out. What he's going to talk to you about today is really a lot that comes out of his own personal testimony. And there's, there's a moral authority in his life. He's living out what he's going to be teaching you today. And so I believe you're going to be blessed as my friend Brian brings the word. So would you right now just give a warm family welcome to my friend Brian Barker. Yeah, come on. You guys can hear me? Is that on? Yeah, we're good. Man, before I get started today, I just want to make one thing clear that uh, my presence up here on stage today, me being here today is just a testament to God that he can use and he will use the unqualified. I'm not qualified to be up here, guys. I am not qualified up here, so me being up here is just what God's been doing in my life. And if any of you are out there today, you feel unqualified, you feel down, like life's just beating you up, I want you to know you're in the right place for God to use you. So don't give up, don't lose hope. God calls the unqualified. I'm up here as a testimony to that today. I'm so thankful for our pastor. I, when I did recording, I kept saying, I was like, man, I'm just thankful for the opportunity um, to come share with you guys today and to share with those online. But I got to admit, like I was looking at Pastor Kevin, he asked me to, to speak on this. I was like, dude, you're a little crazy. 
Like you're just, something's, I'm going to go with it because you're my pastor. I believe you're getting the word from God. I'm going to go with it, but, but you're a little crazy. But he has so much faith and trust in me. He, um, he leads me so well. Like I, I know it's probably pretty hard. Uh, my wife can probably attest to some of the frustrations that I'll cause in your life. But uh, he's just such an important person in my life. I've said before, he wears a lot of hats, which is good because he's, he's bald, right? So he keeps him, keeps him warm. But um, he's my pastor, he's my counselor, he's one of my best friends. Like I just lean into him for so much. So thankful that not only what he has in what his part in my life, but he's over in Missouri right now pouring into another church. Like what a great opportunity for him to pour into another community. Um, so I'm just so thankful for him. And uh, if you were here last week, you know we started in a series called our Playlist Series, which is great. We have a lot of fun with that, guys. We have a lot of fun with it. Um, and today we're going to get into a book of the Bible that probably most of you have no idea. But I had no idea this book existed. I skimmed right past it in all of my readings. So you're probably going to be just like me. But before we get into the message, our, our team, our staff, they worked really hard to put a video together for you. So let's watch this and then we'll get going. Blondie. Any Blondie fans out here? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. This is what our staff did to me, guys. This is what our staff... I was not at the staff meeting where we're choosing all the songs. Pastor Kevin got, what, Credence Clearwater. He got Prince, Led Zeppelin, and I got Blondie. I, I'm more of a Whitney fan, to be honest with you. That's why I usually say before Jen there was Aaliyah, but before Aaliyah there was Whitney in my life. I'm more of a Whitney fan, but it's, it, I knew nothing about Blondie. I thought that was her name. I thought Blondie was her real name. And then I come to find out, it's like, it's Deborah, which is my mom's name. Pretty crazy, pretty crazy. She's got blonde hair. My wife has blonde hair. I was like, hey, we can relate to this a little bit. We can relate to this now. She, and if, if you might know this about me, it, my wife, she, if you look at my history on like my watch history, my internet history, you're going to think some crazy, like I love true crime. I need a whodunit in my life. I found out this, this song was inspired by a stalker. I was like, maybe this is my song. <laughs> Deborah, blonde hair, stalker. I was like, this is, this is right up my alley. And really, if you, if you go and you look at the words, like it really ties in to the book that we're going to be studying today. And that's Nahum, which again, anybody know Nahum? Not personally. Anybody ever read the book of Nahum? Jen, come on. There we go. Okay, Joan. Okay, okay. We got three people in here that have read Nahum. So that, that's good. I can say anything. <laughs> like you guys won't know. I just, I can just say whatever I want. And uh, well, you're just going to have to believe me because I'm up here with the mic. So um, before we get into the book, though, I got, I got to set a little stage for you. So we're going to go back to Vacation Bible School, right? Anybody know Vacation Bible School? Any of you old-time Christians? I don't. So I, I might, you might not believe me on this. Vacation and school to me were two different things. They didn't go together. I knew if I was on vacation, I was having fun. I was not in school. And if I was in school, it was not fun. You guys have heard my story before about school. But we're going to go back a little bit to your felt boards, and we're going to start in Jonah. We're going to start in Jonah. It's about 100 years before, before Nahum came around and um, before he prophesied. So about 100 years prior to that, Jonah, chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord calls Jonah to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So Nineveh, that's the, that's the city Jonah's being called to. This was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It's also known as the city of sin, right? Sin City, we know that, right? So imagine that. Imagine Vegas back in the day. It's also known as one of the largest cities or maybe the largest city at this time. So it's full of people just doing bad things. 
full of people. They're all separated from the body of Christ. And Jonah, he was being called by God to go there to preach against their, their wickedness. So Jonah was God's reminder to them to repent and turn back to God, turn away from sin. And, and Jonah, this is a tough situation for Jonah. Like, have you ever been put in a position where you're like, I don't really want to have that conversation with that person? You know, they're, they're a tough person in my life. I, don't, I just don't want to, I don't want to have that encounter. Or, or maybe, maybe you just, something's taking you out of your comfort zone. You're like, that's not for me. It's too uncomfortable. I can't do that. That's what Jonah's being called to. He's being called to a place of his enemies. Like Nineveh was, all, they're, they're described as like savages, terrorists. And as I was studying, studying for this message, I read one article that um, compared it to today, like us being called to speak to the Taliban or a group of terrorists that we're, you know, that we, we've heard about that do bad things. Like, who wants to be called to that? But that's what, that's what God's calling Jonah to. He's saying, I need you to go speak against their wickedness. I need you to tell them about me. I need you to have them repent and turn to me. But Jonah doesn't want to because he knows God. He knows God. He's got a relationship with God. And in chapter 4, verse 2, he describes God as a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. See, see, Jonah knows God is about forgiveness. He doesn't want to go there. So now this is where most of us know the story. What does he do? He runs, right? He just runs away. He runs in the exact opposite direction that he's supposed to go, goes and jumps on some kind of boat, I think like maybe a pirate ship or something like that. And then he's hiding down below. The seas are all crazy. These folks, they throw him overboard. Now he's in the ocean. That's why I don't go on cruises, guys. Don't invite me on a cruise. I'm like, I am not about to get thrown in the ocean. But he gets thrown in the ocean, and this is where he gets what? Swallowed up by the big old fish. A lot of people think it's a whale. I read through a bunch of translations to this. All I ever saw was this a big old fish. So we don't know if it's a whale. We don't know if it's a shark. Now, I'm guessing it's not a shark. They got a lot of teeth. But we don't know if it's a whale, a shark, or just some kind of creature. You know, what we would say mythical creature. We don't know, but we know he gets swallowed up by this big old fish. And this is where, oh, this is interesting. I about forgot this. This is interesting. So the Ninevites at this time, they worshiped the fish god. And I'm like, God, you are just using using bad for good, right? God's using bad for, maybe it was something that represented this fish God that swallows up Jonah, but they worship a fish God. And here is Jonah sitting in the belly of a fish. And this is where God gives Jonah a second chance, right? That's good, right? God is a, he is a God of second chances. For me, you're going to find out maybe a little bit more than second chances, but he is a God of second chances. He sends word to Jonah a second time. This time Jonah listens. This time Jonah goes to Nineveh. He starts to go up and down the street. He's preaching to the people of Nineveh, and he's really sounding an alarm. That's what he's doing. He is sounding an alarm, and he's going up and down these streets. Imagine you're going up and down the city of all your enemies, just straight-up savages. You know, they're, they're doing savagey things, whatever. The, and, and you're going up and down these streets, and you, say, you got 40 days to live. Is that not crazy? You got 40 days to live. I was like, if Pastor Kevin asked me to come speak, and I told you guys you got 40 days to live, what would y'all do? Like, you'd be like, he's crazy. He's crazy. I'm not listening to this guy. But that's what he does. He says, you've got 40 days to live. And somehow, boom, right? Jonah has a mic drop. This whole city repents. Jonah goes down as one of the most effective prophets 
of all time because 120,000 people that day and over the time that Jonah was there, they repented. They repented from their sin and they turned to God. And this really is, this is Nineveh's first pivotal God moment, their redemption. They were, they were redeemed. God was, he showed how faithfully patient he was. They repented with Jonah. But as years pass, you know, hundreds of years, this is like a hundred year story. This is a century long story. As those years pass, Nineveh continues to go back to their old ways. They continue to revert back to their wickedness. They continue to, st- to put their backs towards God and put, put their focus on worldly things and their desires of the flesh. And that ultimately, that lands them in their second God moment. And that's condemnation. It's condemnation. And that's where we see Nahum come into the game. Say, so Nahum, the prophet, he really means comforter. Which if you just jump into this book and you read Nahum, you're, you're not going to think that his name means comforter. You're going to think it's something much, much worse. This book is just riddled with, um, I don't know, just descriptions of like destruction and fire and, and just the end of a city, really. It can be a little intimidating, but his name means comforter. And it's because this book is set up as a sequel to Jonah. And, it's, and it talks a lot about the Assyrians, but it's really a message to the people of Judah. It's a message to them to say, hey, God's in control of history, right? God's in control of all of it. It's confirmation that God is not going to allow the wickedness and the evil just to continue on forever. Like God's going to act. He will correct it. And he's going to eventually or ultimately he's going to he's going to fulfill his plan to restore good. Now, as, as we continue on in the message, I would like to read a little bit from um, chapter 1, Nahum. So if you would go ahead and stand with me, we're going to go through the first nine verses of this book. We're just going to stand and honor God's word in this. Um, Nahum, chapter 1, this is, like I said, first nine verses. This is 1 through 9, verse 1. A prophecy concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum, the Elkishite. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and vents his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind and in the storm, and clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and dries it up. He makes all the rivers run dry. Bashan and Carmel wither and the blossoms of Lebanon fade. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt away. The earth trembles of his presence, the world and all who live in it. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. But with an, um, with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the realm of darkness. Whatever they plot against the Lord, he will bring to an end. Trouble will not come a second time. Let's pray. Lord, I just, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord. Just to share your word, really, Lord. I'm just, I just want to be your vessel today, but we are just thankful for your, your grace, your love, and your mercy on us, Lord. And I just pray as we continue today, Lord, you would just, you would just pour something into somebody. 
whether they need grace in their life, you pour that in. Whether they need wisdom, you pour that. Whether they need to, need to, to identify an item in their life that they need to repent from or, or actions in their life they need to repent from or they need some, some, some guidance on how to surrender daily. Lord, I just pray that you, you put that vision, that seed in us, Lord, and you just continue to grow it inside of us. And it's in your name we pray. Thank you, guys. You can, you can have a seat. So um, I always love it when somebody comes up here and they says, I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm going to be honest with you, right? The rest of it, I can't, I can't, I'm not going to say I am. This part, I'm going to be honest with you. I, this may be the toughest, toughest thing I've ever prepared for in my life. Um, I've, I've spoken maybe, I don't know, four or five times for a full message here. And it's usually on a topic. It's not a specific book. And it's usually, I usually use scripture that I'm familiar with, right? I usually sit in the New Testament. It's very rarely that I go to the, oh, just being honest, guys. I know you think I'm perfect. I'm not. I'm not, okay, I'm just being honest with you. Like this is a, but I learned a lot. This book is very short. It's three chapters, maybe three pages as well, depending on, depending on your font. Um, but it, I learned a lot through studying from this message and just that, that gave me just that, that feeling of gratefulness that, um, you know, I had the opportunity to really dive into scripture with this. Um, and, I, and I learned a few things. I've got some takeaways that I want to share. I want to go through with you guys today. And the first one is God is love. God is love. And if we go back to chapter 1, verse 2 in Nahum, we can see that Nahum describes God as jealous. I mean, he literally, he literally says the Lord is a jealous God. And if you're like me, you think jealous, you think sinful, right? But that's not what we're saying here. Biblically, this word is related more to the word zealous. It's describing God's enthusiasm in his pursuit of us. His pursuit of us, like he, his pursuit of us for our faithfulness. His pursuit of us so we would, we would repent from sin and turn to him. And he does all of that. He's pursuing us and he has all this stuff for us. And it's strictly, it's out of his love for us. That's what it is, just out of his love for us. I want you to know his love is perfect. There's nothing wrong with his love. The beautiful thing about that is it does not depend on us just depends on like he has all the love god is the source of love and it is perfect now we are his resources like when you know god when you know him you are called by him when you know him you are appointed by him to be distributors of the love that he's given you to other people we see this explained in first john chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 dear friends let us love one another. That's the distribution of the love. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. He's the source. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know God, whoever does not love, does not know God because God is love. God is love. See, it's out of his love for us that he cares for us in our weakest. When we are broken, he cares for us out of his love. He pursues us out of his love. He wants us to repent and turn to him out of his love for us. He gives us grace. He's a patient God. We saw that described as well. He's slow to anger. Psalms 103 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious compassionate and he's gracious towards us he's slow to anger but he's abounding in love see that's who he is that's who God is God is love 
But he can't be God if he's just a God of love. So God is love. He's also, God is also just. He has to be, right? Can't be God of love without being a God of just. He's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. God of just. He doesn't get any pleasure out of punishing us. I want you to know that. He doesn't get any pleasure out of punishing us, but he will protect us from those that attack. Anybody that knows God, anybody that seeks God, God will protect from those that position themselves as enemies against him. He'll be our avenger, just like Nahum says. Same verse. It's verse 2, but after he says God is a jealous God, he, he then goes on to say that God is an avenger. He continue, Nahum continues to say, he said, God takes vengeance on his foes and wrath on his enemies. Anybody that is against God, anybody that turns from God, speaks ill will of God, positions themselves as an enemy of God. And that's what Nahum did, or not, that's what Nineveh did. So they repented with Jonah, but then over a hundred years, they just continued to position themselves as an enemy of God. They were going against his word. And this is his judgment, his command against Nineveh. This is what Nahum says in chapter 1, verse 14. It says, The Lord has given a command concerning you, Nineveh. You will have no descendants to bear your name. I will destroy the images and idols that are in the temple of your gods. I will prepare your grave, for you are vile. I mean, if that don't shake you to the core, I don't know what will. If you receive a word from God and he says, I will prepare your grave, well, you better get on your knees and repent. You better, you better have some action behind that. But I love this because it tells me and it shows me the confirmation that God's an avenger for us. I know you guys know some Marvel Avengers. God is the OG. Before Captain America, there was God. Before Thor, there was God. He's the original avenger. God's love for those causes him to take vengeance on those wanting to cause us harm. He's like a parent. Any, anybody out here have kids? Surely a few of you do, because our kids' place is overrun with kids, all right? Surely some of y'all have some kids. I feel like when me and Jim moved back to Stanley County, it's not right unless you're outnumbered by your kids here. It's like you got to have three to five to fit into Stanley County or something. It's just crazy. But he's like a parent, right? He's there fighting for his children. I love this story right here. My mom would not say the same thing. But uh, when I was a senior, you guys have heard a lot about my failures. If you haven't, just look me up online on our, on our, on our app. You'll find a lot. I, I had a lot of them to talk about. But when I was a high school, when I was a high school, when I was a senior in high school, um, we had these things called senior pranks. I don't know if they still do it these days. I don't know. But um, at that time, I, I, one of my best friends at that time, we always tried to one-up. Not each other, but everybody else. So this senior prank, we're like, let's do this. No, nah, they're doing that. All right, well, let's do this. Oh, that's a little bit better, but we got to get it so far. We got to make it think that people can't copy us. So that's what we did. We came up with this great idea. I'm not going to go too much into that idea, guys. I can't really tarnish what y'all think of me. But uh, we go up to our school and we just 
we just, we, we create havoc. That's basically what it is. The school's closed. We, we start art class out in the parking lot on every sign there was. We are, we are doing our own pictures on the building. We are, we are destroying things. Not good stuff, okay? Not good stuff at all. We are vandalizing this school completely, completely illegal and just, just dumb, right? I had to tell my 11-year-old the other day, I was like, Mason, people just do dumb things, okay? I'm one of them, okay? Do as we say, not as I did. Um, so anyway, fast forward, everybody finds out. Principal finds out, assistant principal finds out. Everybody that's kind of making the decision that the school finds out. So they call me into the office, me and my friend, and they're like, you guys aren't graduating. We found out what happened. You are not going to be allowed to walk with your class, and you are not going to be allowed to graduate until you, I think at that point it was like, serve so many hours in summer school. Not to really get the credits, but I guess it's like community service. I'm not really sure. Um, but we weren't going to be allowed to graduate. And my mom found this out. Look, guys, my mom might be one of the most passive people that I've ever known. More mild-mannered than my wife. Like, she is, my mom will find the good in everything. Rattlesnake, she finds the good in it. Look at those diamonds on his back. Oh, it's so nice. My mom is just a sweetheart. But when she found this out, she was not so sweet. She came up to that school. She's fighting for me. I'm completely blown away. And of course, I'm completely lying to her the whole time, right? I was like, Mom, I didn't do it. Everybody in this town is the same height, got the same hair color, Mom. It was not me, but my mom was fighting for me. And it's not how she did it. You know, it wasn't that she went to the school and, you know, is arguing and fighting, whatever. Um, but it's why she did it, right? She did it because she loved me. She was fighting for me out of love, and I want you to know how, how will never be as important as why. And that's what my mom was, she was fighting for me. Why? Because she loved me. God fights for us. He pursues us. Why? Because God loves us. God will correct us. Why? Because God is just. And God will be just to everybody. I want you guys to know that if, if you're a Christian in here and whether you're a new believer or, or a seasoned believer, maybe you're like salt and pepper believer, God is just to everybody. He's just with me. God can be just with me when I'm wrong. When I live in that tension of the flesh versus living with the spirit, God will correct me. Now, my prayer is that he will correct me in a loving way different than Nineveh, but God will correct me. See, what we see through God's judgment and what we see through God's love is that a mind governed by flesh is death, but a mind governed by the Spirit is life is life. And I love how Romans 7, Paul gets real vulnerable in Romans 7. He talks about the struggle of the sinful flesh. He talks about the tension between living a life by the flesh versus living a life by God. So let's jump into Romans 7. This is, this is um, verses 15 through 20. Paul is saying, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Tongue twister. I know I've read this verse so many times. Just praying I made it through it without stumbling. But what, God, what, what Paul is saying is that sin is alive. It's not the law that was sinful. It was the law that gave sin life because then he had, he had vision on it. He could see it. And see, when sin is alive, sin will not stop. Sin will always be there. Sin will continue to knock at your door. Always. And this is, this is why we struggle, right? This is why we struggle living in that tension of the flesh versus the spirit. But Paul does remind us, he reminds us back in chapter 6 that we've died to sin. That we've died to sin, meaning sin's claim, it's, it's been broken. It doesn't have a hold on us. We don't have to give in to it. That we have the Holy Spirit that's in us that gives us the power to fight against sin. And what we have to do is make a choice. We have to choose to resist sin every day. This is not on Mondays. This is not on Fridays. This is every day we have to make a choice to resist sin. And in verses 5 and 6, still chapter 7 in Romans, Paul says, For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Of the written code. As Paul, what he's saying is, um, when you allow the ways of the world to influence, we're going to live by the flesh. And then we become slaves to sin. Become slaves to the law of sin. So we have to make a choice. We have to make, we all must choose between what the world wants us to be versus who we are, versus who you are. And there's only one way you can be defined, guys, and that is through God. God is our creator. You can only be defined by God. And as your creator, I want you to know that he wants a relationship with you. I told you, if you feel unqualified, it doesn't matter because God is pursuing of you enthusiastically. He's zealous for your love. And he has a gift for you. This is what Romans chapter 6, 23 tells us. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he, he has this gift for you, but what we have to do is make sure we're positioned to receive it. We have to make sure that we are positioned to receive from God. And it starts with repentance. A relationship with God starts with repentance. That's number three if you're taking notes. See, repentance, is, it's simple, right? When you repent, you're basically acknowledging that, hey, this is wrong. This, what, what, what I'm looking at, what I'm focused on, that's wrong. I need to go this way. It is truly an act of turning from what's wrong and trying to make an improvement in your life, turning to something better. Biblically, it's, it's often defined as, as, as you are living like as a self-serving way. Like it's your desires, it's your plan, it's your agenda. That's how you're living. So when you repent, you turn from that and turn to God. Repentance 
is God's hope for us. See, this is what I believe is God's mission. Like as I read through the Bible and I, I pick up scriptures and I highlight words that, that just jump out at me, what I've, what I've seen is that repentance is what God wants for everybody. This is ultimately his mission. You can see that um, Romans 2, 4, God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Then 2 Peter Chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And then again in Luke chapter 5, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's his mission. He wants us to repent and when we repent when we begin to position ourselves ourselves and put our focus on God he'll deliver you can see that in chronicles second chronicles if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their turn from their wicked ways it's literally saying right there if you turn from your wicked ways if you repent i will hear them from heaven I will forgive them their sin. I will heal their land. God is, is asking us. He wants us to repent so that he can bless. Repentance positions us to receive from God. Can't receive from God unless you're turned to God. Repent to, reposit, to reposition, to refocus on God. So the start of a relationship with God is repentant. But if you want a maturing relationship with God, that requires daily, daily, daily surrender. If repentance is that step towards God, surrendering is going to be that embrace to God's will. And it's, it's maybe one of the hardest things to do, right? Because it requires some discipline. It requires some obedience. It's not just one moment where you repent. It's a collection of moments where you continue to surrender. It takes courage in the face of the unknown. It takes courage in the face of the unknown when we, are, when we are surrendering. Sacrifice of your comforts. You can't surrender if you're just living a life that is only comforted by your actions. Matthew chapter 16 says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Surrendering is denying yourself to Jesus. It's, it's dying to ourselves and giving it all for Jesus. When we think back to Jonah. We knew Jonah had a relationship with God. Like Jonah was called to God, right? We knew he had a relationship. We, knew, we know that Jonah knew God. We know that he had experienced his, his grace and, and his goodness, which is why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. We know all that. But Jonah could not be used by God until he surrendered to God. Did y'all see that? Like, it was the second time that God came to him, gave him a second chance. That, that's when Jonah said, you know what? I'm going to surrender this time. I'm going to follow God's calling on my life. And that's when Jonah was used by God because surrendering will position us to be used by God. And I want you to know God's put people in your life, maybe just for a moment of time, maybe just for a season, maybe just for a year, whatever. He's put people in your life that could have an impact 
of a lifetime of moments. So God uses the legacy of others to build the legacy of you. And, and what we saw in Nineveh is, is they didn't surrender to God. They didn't prioritize God. They didn't surrender. They didn't prioritize. And you know what happens when we don't prioritize God? You know what happens? Those around you don't prioritize God. Like if you don't prioritize him in your life, you can't expect those in, in your circle, your family, your friends, your kids, your coworkers. You can't expect them to prioritize your God. And what happens if that continues, if that, if that trend continues, eventually we'll be to a place where there's no concept of God. If I don't prioritize God in my life, my kids will not prioritize it in their life. And then they will not have God to prioritize for their kids. And it'll just, God will just continue to get a little bit more distant to where there's no concept of God. See, I want that generational salvation for my family. I want it for my friends, but that requires daily surrender from me. I want you to know your legacy is not about your name. It's about the names of those that come after you. What you do now, the relationship you connect with God today is not about your legacy. It's about the legacy of those that God wants to reach. Jimmy Hartzell, who's just a an amazing man in our church. I know some of you know him. He's just some, some I look up to Jimmy so much. But um, one, because when I was in, in Honduras, I felt like I was just, I mean, I, I was like in the, I couldn't move. I, was, I hurt my back. I couldn't move. Jimmy comes and, and Brad Warren, a couple guys come and they pray over me. And I, gosh, I was healed the next day. I was like, man, this is crazy. Experience a miracle like that. But Jimmy's legacy, the other night on first Wednesday, he was praying over my 11-year-old son. He was praying over my 11-year-old son, and that's when I saw firsthand Jimmy Hartzell's legacy is not about Jimmy Hartzell. It's about the generation after him. And I'm so thankful for people like Jimmy that have that influence, not just in other people's lives, but personally in my life and my kids' life. Your legacy is not about you guys. It's about those after you. And as I mentioned at the beginning um, of the message, you know, I, I had a hard time going through this book. Pastor Kevin even mentioned it on the slide because, you know, I'm calling him left and right, like, dude, like my heart's pounding. How do I get this to slow down? Like, reading through this book rocked me to my core, and it was, it was kind of like an eye-opening experience, like revisiting my past, because I saw myself in Nineveh. I was, I was the person running from God. I was the person being rebellious. I was broken. I was wicked, not in a cool way in a very bad way. You know, so if, you, if you've heard some of my story, you know at a young age I started, I started using drugs. You know that I struggled through school, that I was, I was kicked out of college. You know that I was evicted, evicted from my apartment for um, misbehaving. Um, I got two DUIs. Got two DUIs, like one was not enough, so I had to go get another one. Um, I was rebellious, guys. I had friends in my life that loved Jesus. I wasn't surrounded by, by everybody that was just living the same life as me. I had friends that, that loved Jesus. I had friends that invited me to church. I had Jonas in my life that were surrendered to God, that were trying to deliver a message to me to turn to God, to, to repent from my ways and turn to Him so that I, I could experience the love of God. I was rebellious. And you know, um, I, like I said, God's, we serve a God of second chances. And I'm so fortunate that um, 
I serve a God of 15 chances. You know, like he had plenty of times to just be done with me. And I'm just so thankful that he was not. And as I continue to read, I continue to study. That's where I was reminded of God's mercy. Because he was merciful to me. In his kindness, he led me to repentance. In his kindness, he led me um, to repentance. And this is what I, this is what I know, guys, um, that we are all in debt to God. He gave his only son for us. There's nothing we can do to repay him. You can't repay him for that. You can't repay him for the, the gift of eternal life. You can't repay him for his kindness, his grace. He does that out of his love for us. And he will be patient. He will be patient, but you cannot mock him in your repentance. You cannot continue to to push push pause on your repenting. You cannot procrastinate repenting because God is just as well. But I know he's got a better life for you if you're struggling with something like that, something out there. I I know God's got a better life for you. I've experienced it. I'm experiencing that, and I know I will continue to experience because I I have now felt and and just experienced the kindness of God. I've witnessed it in my life and other people's lives. I know he's done it in the past. I know he's doing it today. I know he's not going to stop. And maybe you're, um, maybe there's something going on that you just need to, you need to turn over today. You need to, you need to turn back to God. Maybe you're a, you're a seasoned believer, like you've either been going to church your, your whole life, but you've got a relationship with God. Like you've, been, you've received salvation from God and, and you've experienced his kindness. You've experienced his grace. You know the goodness of God, but maybe you've lost your thankfulness. Maybe you've lost your thankfulness. Maybe you're, you're, you're early, let's call it early Jonah. Like you know about his grace, but he's trying to put something on your heart and you're running from it. You've got that relationship. You know about all of that, but you're, you're, you're turned in the wrong direction and you're running from his calling. Maybe it is time for you to repent that. Maybe it is time for you to refocus. Adjust your perspective. Maybe you're a new believer. You know, maybe you recently prayed to receive Christ. Maybe we'll say, maybe you recently prayed to receive Christ, but you haven't been baptized yet. Maybe you're kind of in in that area. And and if you're anything like me, like I remember it so vividly when I prayed to receive Christ. Um, Well, really the church, like I came into church and they're playing chameleon there, catch me riding dirty. I don't know if you guys know that song, but that was my anthem. All right. Like catch me riding dirty. I dare you. But like, here comes our pastor at that time down the aisle on this green machine. And, and I turned, Jen invited me to church that day. So, so thankful for that. That's why I had to marry her, right? Because I was like, I got to do this. I was like, I'll come back. Church is playing hip hop. But like, I remember praying to receive Christ and I go out the door and I'm expecting something magical, something crazy to happen, right? It didn't happen. It didn't happen. But I want you to know that you don't have to live in shame because once you pray to receive Christ, you've now positioned yourself with your focus on Christ. And you're not living that life. You're living a new life and God is going to start working in you. But you don't have to live in shame of your past. Don't let that prevent you from growing a relationship with him. All he wants you to do is get in his word. He just wants you to get in prayer, build that relationship with him, build, build those disciplines, disciplines to spend time with him daily. Start surrendering your life. Don't overthink it. 
I'm going to make fun of my wife just a little bit here because I'm on stage and I know she's not going to hit me right now. My wife has been thinking about a tattoo for 12 years, guys. And I was like, why don't you just get one that says tattoos are not for overthinkers? Like, let's just quote that. I don't think Christianity is for overthinkers either. Like, God is sitting there. He's waiting on us to, to just put focus on him and to live for him. We don't have to overthink it. It doesn't have to be that crazy. I'm standing up here. I don't have a, any kind of theology degree. I'm as unqualified as can be. It doesn't have to be complicated. It just takes repentance and it takes surrendering. Maybe you're a non-believer. I've sat in that seat before. I sat in that seat a long time. My pride was right. Nothing else was right. I just want you to know that Jesus has already died. for He's already paid for the penalty of your failures. He's already done that for you. You may not know him, but he knows you, and he's already done that for you. You just have to, you just have to follow him. You just have to ask him into your life. And if you don't, then you'll be the one left holding the bill. He's already paid for the penalty, but if you don't begin following him, you'll be left holding the bill. And if you're that person that's running, whether you're a believer, a new believer, or a non-believer, if you're running from God, I just want you to know that he has a better life for you. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.